Hello, and welcome into the August 2nd edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast, brought to you by Arrowhead Live. Joining me, as always, is Christian. First off, man, it was great to see you at camp. Hope you had a good time. Um, what were some of your takeaways from camp? So, good to see you, too. Finally, uh, we've been doing this podcast for a while, and we got to meet each other for the first time in person, which was super awesome. Yeah, um, I, it, it, like, freaked me out because I actually ran into you like almost literally when we were walking in together and I heard your voice. And that was the only way that I knew it was you was hearing your voice because <laughs> like, I don't know, I've seen pictures of you, but I don't like, you know, look at your picture a whole lot. Like the Wolverine meme of him, like in the, oh, back, yeah. holding the picture frame, like I don't do that very often. So when I saw you, I was like, that's, that's gotta be Christian. Like I, I know that voice. Well, and I like it, it was kind of crazy. We were both walking in through the uh, like right on the outside of the field. And I was like, I think that's that's price, maybe. Like, and so I just said your name like and then I, you could kind of play it off. Right. Like, yeah. oh, uh, no, I, I wasn't talking to you, man. I meant another person, you know, but yeah, it was cool that it worked out that way. But <clears throat> one of the biggest things that I saw at training camp that really surprised me was Juan Thornhill not being on the first team. And, and I know they like to change everything up and, and give different looks during training camp to see what's going on, but Juan Thornhill not at the second wide receiver free sa- or a second safety free safety spot um, was really concerning to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll say that one of my favorite things about going up to camp and all the players talk about this as well is how efficient Andy Reed's camps are. There's virtually no time that there are players just standing around doing nothing, waiting. The only time you see that is when like the second team offense is taking reps and the first team and third team offense are sitting on the sides, but they are so good about being efficient. And I love that. It's great from a fan perspective to watch that. Um, you know, I thought they did a good job of handling the crowd. I liked that they added that hill in the other end zone. Overall, training camp was a good experience. But, yeah, I mean, I'll say that that was one of my biggest takeaways as well was the one Thornhill thing. And, and we'll get into that a little bit here in our next segment. Um, and this kind of goes without saying, but going to camp – so going to a Chiefs game, you need to go to those occasionally just to remember how big the spectacle is how awesome the fan base is, how fast they are, all of those things. But going to camp a little bit, you get closer to the players. You see them in a little bit more relaxed environment. And, I mean, I don't care who you are. When you go to camp and, like, Mahomes is there and he takes off your helmet, his helmet and he's, you know, a couple hundred feet away from you, like, holy crap, that's Patrick Mahomes. Like, I had that moment, and I've been to camp years, like several years in a row and seen Mahomes there. But that moment always makes camp worth it. Oh, yeah. Same thing with Tyron. That was one of the first players we saw when we walked towards the field. Uh, your, your college buddy even looked over and was like, oh, that's Tyron Matthew, you know, casually 20 feet away from me. Yeah, like, it's the it's the we're all little kids again and being starstruck by incredible athletes, because like it doesn't matter who you're with. You have to go. You have to look over to them and go, hey, hey, that's Travis Kelsey. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's just like, yeah, we're here to see Travis Kelsey. We knew he'd be here. Like, this is not a surprise. But still, you're like, dude, dude, that's Travis Kelsey. Like, you can't help but get a little starstruck. But overall, I'm glad the Chiefs still do it up in St. Joe. I don't know how much longer that's going to be a thing. But in the meantime, we'll just have to enjoy it. 
But in regards to camp, we're going to do a little segment here. Um, you know, we've been reading lots of tweets. People do a great job of tweeting out what's happening at camp. We've got some of the bigger headlines that have come out of Chiefs camp so far, and we're going to play a little game called News or Noise. Um, pretty self-explanatory. Is the information coming out of camp news in the sense of long-term importance, or is it noise in the sense of in a couple of weeks into the season, it'll seem like a non-starter? Um, so we'll just bounce back and forth from topic to topic. Um, let's see, Christian, do you want to start off with the first one? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the first uh, item on news or noise is, is Chris Jones at defensive end a real thing? Is it news or is it noise? So to me, it's definitely news. Um, he looked slimmer than he has like any other time I've seen him. Um, you know, you go back through game film and, and you can see he's a bigger you know, he's a defensive tackle that, you know, they're supposed to be big, um, but he looks like he's really slimmed down. And some of the pass rush moves he was putting on Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang were, uh, they looked really good, man. I was really, really surprised at how well he was doing. So news for that one. So here's one for you, Kelsey's hip and back news or noise. I'm going to go mostly noise for Kelsey, especially because Kelsey's probably one of those players. He's one of the most tenured players on the roster. Kelsey could probably miss all of camp, walk onto the field day one against the Browns and still put up a hundred yards. Um, so the injury itself doesn't concern me that much, mostly noise, but I will say it was about this time last year that we started hearing stuff about Mitchell Schwartz's back. I'm going to say that it's probably not as serious as Mitch's back was. Uh, simply because we saw him a little bit on the field on Saturday and then he was back on the field today practicing. So, um, but the only thing that I will say about this, and I know I'm like deep uh, beating the, my own segment already, um, but nobody has played more football games in the last three years than the chiefs going back to them, going deep into the AFC championship and over time, super bowl, super bowl, the guys who have been on this roster for the last three years, are some of the biggest players that we count on the most. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot of injuries in camp, nothing serious yet, thankfully, but just something to keep my eyes on. The injuries is news, but Kelsey's injury is noise. Um, okay. So Willie Gay's having a big camp so far. Is this news or noise, Christian? So this has to be news, right? Like this is what we've all been waiting for. Um, we saw a lot of him, Nick Bolton, and Ben Neiman in the base. Now, that could be just because Anthony Hitchens was, you know, injured not exactly 100%. Um, but Willie Gay looked great on the field. And, and there's a, you know, you see Tyreek out there, and obviously he's a different kind of speed, but he's a little guy, right? He, he's like 5'10". I don't even think he's that tall. But you know, you, you see him running around real fast. It's like, yeah, that's insane speed. But you see a guy like Willie Gay running around, making interceptions off Patrick Mahomes. And you're like, oh, that's a big guy. And he's going really fast. Like, it, just crazy. I, I love how, how much he's transitioned from being like, you know, the little, uh, you know, I'm not really know. I don't really know where I'm supposed to be to the guy that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm athletic enough to be out of position and I'll still make the play, which I'm not sure that he was a whole lot of – I'm not sure he was out of position a whole lot, but 
it was hard to tell. He was all over the field. So the next one is the bad snaps from Creed Humphrey. News this or one, noise? Yeah, this one's definitely the most noise of any of these on the list. Um, I, first off, it was only two, and I think Mahomes came out and said one of them was him was on him, which it may or may not be. Um, we'll never know. But Creed Humphrey, I don't think there's been a single like we've heard some of the other players mixing in in the first team reps. I'm not sure Creed Humphrey's taken a snap that wasn't with the first team yet. He's going to have a few of those, but you know, there Oklahoma runs out of the gun almost exclusively. I have no doubt that Creed Humphrey can make a snap out of the shotgun. He can do it with both hands, left and right. I'm not worried about Creed Humphrey. I, he is the guy. They have declared the guy. I still think Austin Blythe makes the roster because of his center and guard flexibility, but I am not worried about Creed Humphrey at all. Um, okay, so next one is Lucas Nying has been taking when Mike Rimmers was healthy. Um, he's been taking left tackle snaps. Now that Rimmers is – having some back spasms going back to the injury theme he's been at right tackle so is lucas nying doing more left tackle news or noise to you uh it's kind of in the middle right like you really want a guy that and i think what lucas nying is going to be this season is a swing tackle that can go left or right now they know orlando brown can do right tackle right so if there's an injury if mike rimmers gets injured halfway through the season you know that Orlando wants to play left tackle, but I think in a new team with an injury, you know, that might be, you know, an excuse to go over to right tackle for a little bit. I think that left tackle is probably where he's most comfortable. Lucas Niang, I mean. Um, And so him taking snaps at left tackle, I think just allows for, for more, uh, I can't think of the word, but there's, there's more looks you can get. If somebody gets injured, one thing like one thing that Andy Reid likes on his with his players, especially the offensive line, is versatility. He can go left, he can go right. I think all the tackles can do that, except for Mike Rimmers. And you know, it's a good backup plan to have. Yeah, and the swing tackle is a position that they have prioritized for, for a long time, going back to when they traded, when they traded for um, oh, what was his name from the Browns, and then he played for the Cowboys last year. The ultimate oh, Cam man. Irving. Cam, Cam Irving, Irving yes, yeah. the Chiefs' biggest hype man during the Super Bowl. Cam Irving, <laughs> and then, you know, Mike Rimmers last year. I think Nying is definitely trending towards being their swing tackle for this year. Um, next one for me is, are you? is it news or noise that you think Kyle Long has already lost his job to Trey Smith? I'm going to go with this as news in the sense of, I think that Kyle Long definitely makes this roster because I think he could actually mix into the right tackle position a little bit too, depending on Mike Rimmers, Lucas Nying, everything we just discussed before. This is also news because the Chiefs 100% want Trey Smith to take this job. He's cheaper. He's younger. He has a higher ceiling than Kyle Long does. And I mean, we don't really know about his long-term health as far as Trey Smith's go, but we know that Kyle Long is a little bit of an injury-prone player over the last couple of years of his career. So it's to me, it's news that Trey Smith's already taking this job. I think, you know, one thing we've definitely learned is that the offensive line is going to get some injuries. I definitely think we think we see Kyle Long take starting snaps on this offensive line at some point. Hopefully it's not out of necessity. But overall, Kyle Long losing his job, that's news to me. Um, For Christian, let's see. Okay, 
Byron Pringle has been the predominant kick returner this um, year in camp. Is that news or noise to you? So that's kind of news to me, right? Like, I don't think anybody expected Pringle to be the one returning, uh, returning kicks. I know that they just traded for Mike Hughes, who did a lot of kick return stuff in college and even with the Vikings. Um, so seeing him kind of in that, like special teams role is, is a little surprising to me, especially with how hyped everybody has been. Uh, he played really well in the snaps he was given, you know, during last season. But I mean, I think everybody kind of expected him to come in and play the X. Like everybody's kind of over to Marcus Robinson. Um, we don't really know if Miko could be an X receiver. Uh, so yeah, this is news to me. Yeah, I agree. I think, Pringle, I also think maybe taking Hardman off some of the special team stuff will allow him to focus a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball where they need him the most. And my favorite thing about Pringle is that he's a great downhill runner who finds the seam and hits it. We've seen players who are not particularly great returners or speed guys do well. Um, oh, shoot. What was his name? Not, I'm, I want to say Spencer Ware, but that's not it. He's the guy who ran the opening kickoff back in Houston for the Chiefs in their first playoff win. But um, he was not a particularly fast runner. Uh, hold on, Houston Texans. Chiefs game. Was it De'Anthony Thomas? No, he was a running back. It'll come back to me. Um, but anyway. Was it West, Sharkandrick West? No, uh, we'll get Maybe. it. I don't know. I'm going yeah. to fight it. But, uh, you know, I think that Pringle hitting those holes and being just a downhill guy will be exactly what they need for him returning kicks. And I also think that that will help with McColl on the offense as well. Um, Okay. For me in a press conference, which, you know, he probably said, probably said a similar thing for any player that came up Tyree kill or not Tyree kill, excuse me. Patrick Mahomes described Jarek McKinnon as an offensive weapon. This is news to me. I know a lot of people, super skeptical about kind of the veteran running back coming into the scheme and it just feels and smells a lot like a lot like LaShawn McCoy a lot like like Le'Veon Bell but Jarek McKinnon is not those players he's younger he's had good snaps in him recently he's not over the hill and also he's a great receiver and I know we can say those things about Bell and LaShawn McCoy as well but I think Jarek McKinnon is going to be a playmaker this year. I think he is much closer to Damian Williams than he is McCoy or Le'Veon Bell. And I also think that they they did something really neat, and they've done this before, but one of the first first-team offense snaps that we saw when we were out there was a really cool, and I'm going to sound like a fool describing this offensive motion, but basically they had McKinnon and Tyreek both at the X and Y, and they both jet-sweeped motion towards the quarterback. So they're running towards each other, and Mahomes flipped it. It reminded me a lot of kind of the D'Anthony Thomas, Tyree Kill motion that they did against the Chargers. and But they used McKinnon in that role with Tyreek. And I think Tyreek ended up getting the ball. But um, it was cool to see them use him in that way as well. So I, I'm, I think that this is probably the best backfield that Mahomes has had with Daryl McKinnon and CEH since he's started in Kansas City. And also the player I was thinking of was Niall Davis. I thought oh that's right. Niall yep. Davis. Yes. Yep. The the great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm in on that. I think that's news. I think McKinnon is definitely news. 
So Christian, the cornerback battle, is it, it's news or noise to you that it's going to come down to Hughes and Baker? And if so, who do you think is winning it? So for me, right, if, if I'm going to choose between two of those guys, I know what one guy is and I don't know what the other guy is. I think we kind of know what DeAndre Baker is as, as much as that, you know, doesn't really make any sense considering like he, he hasn't played a whole lot of snaps, um, but he played snaps for our defense in a few games like that. He has had, we, we've seen him on the field with the other cornerbacks and safeties, right? Um, with Hughes, we don't really know a whole lot about him. I've, you know, he was a first round draft pick, um, but he's been injured almost every single year that he's played. I, I don't think he has, but maybe like six games under his belt. And, you know, that that's not really enough for me to make a decision, but obviously I'm not an NFL head coach. So, you know, that's not really my decision, but <clears throat> I would, I would say Baker probably, especially with how well he, he did towards the end of last year. Now I will say that it's, it's, news that Hughes and Baker are the ones that are fighting for that spot like everybody kind of knows who the number one cornerback is right Legereus Need, I think he'll even travel to cover the best player on both sides of the field this year um, but really I think everybody kind of expected Ward to be that that number two uh, number two corner but from the looks of it at least in camp he's not getting as much work or making as many splash plays as Hughes or Baker. We, we've watched a number of plays uh, with, with the DBs where Baker and Hughes just looked insane and Ward was nowhere to be found. I, I don't even remember seeing him on the field. Um, so yeah, news for me. Now for your final one, Price, uh, Thornhill, him playing the second team and then dealing with some injuries. Is that news or noise? Well, up until the injury, I would call it all noise. I think Thornhill, first off, they use a lot of three safety sets. I think he's kind of still working his way back from the injury. We saw he had a big impact on the Bills game. But the injury obviously changes that. Now, I've heard some super optimistic stuff about the groin injury, that it's only going to be a couple of days and he might start working back into playing. But we also, I've also seen groin injuries take players out for months. Um the, I guess the thing that confuses me the most about Juan Thornhill is two years ago, you would have described him as probably one of the best players on the Chiefs that have been drafted by this regime. And you would have described him as the player that had the highest upside going forward. I mean, Juan Thornhill had, a, had the skill set to be what we thought was going to be, you know, a top 10 safety material. And since then, he had the injury. The Chiefs were able to supplement that going into the playoffs. But last year was kind of a forgotten year for him. Um, he notably had some rough plays, definitely the Raiders game that they lost. And it looked like he borderline lost his job to Daniel Sorensen. And I still cannot get, I still can't understand why, I, I get why the Chiefs love Daniel Sorensen so much, and he does make great plays. But I don't understand why they can't find another player to fill that role. Like, why is it only Daniel Sorensen that can do what Daniel Sorensen does? I'm not sure. Um, but it's definitely a little bit more noteworthy now that he is injured because now he's coming back from something again. And he's still having to kind of take his job back healthy. I feel like Juan Thornhill gives the Chiefs defense something they don't have anywhere else. And that is the true center fielder, deep safety, who has the speed to make up 
and you know really be the blanket over the top in that phrase up Tyron Matthew. Daniel Sorensen does not have that. Now they've put him there. They've put Matthew in that role as well. I will say as far as the injury itself, I'm not panicking because I feel like, you know, this team has proven that they can be successful without Juan Thornhill, but we would definitely prefer to see him be healthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's a guy that everybody's kind of been rooting for over the past couple of years. I think that if he comes back into this season healthy, you'll see him return to that, that maybe top 10 potential safety that we all know that he could be, but. Okay. Well, moving on from, well, actually, you know what, let's hit this last chief's topic real quick. We're just going to kind of recap. We're going to do something. Maybe you guys will like it. Maybe you don't. We're going to kind of just talk about each episode of the franchise, which is the chief's in-house documentary that they're doing. Um, we're just going to kind of recap each episode and talk about some of our biggest t- takeaways and some of the things that we liked, we disliked, yada, yada, yada. Um, first off, it goes without saying when it comes to the franchise, this is a Chiefs production produced by the Chiefs. So everything, they're not going to put anything out there that makes them look bad. Um, I, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say they're probably not going to be talking about Britt Reed too much on the Chiefs, on the franchise this season. Um, but, it, but it's still neat. And I think it's cool to kind of look at, they, they do have access to things that we don't get to see. So um, first off, what were, what were some of the things that you liked, disliked? What were some of your, some of your big takeaways from the first episode of the franchise, Christian? The biggest thing I took away is how likable Orlando Brown Jr. is, oh, right? You like, stole mine. You stole mine. That was literally <laughs> like what I was going to say. Like, that was like my number one thing. Oh yeah, dude. Like anytime that he came on, I was like, he, he just seems so like, like work centric. I don't even know how really to describe it. Like genuine. That's how I, yes, that's how I describe yes. it. He was just a very genuine guy. Like you, you, I mean, I know that this is not anything, but he drove to training camp in like a Ram quarter ton pickup truck, not, not like a Lamborghini or some super moderate, some like Range Rover, hundred thousand dollar SUV, just, just a pickup truck. Yeah. And like, how humble is that? Right. Who was that? Uh, I think it was Kawhi Leonard in basketball. Like he showed up in his like original car that he had in college. Like there's something to be said about like the frugal millionaire that like knows the, how to spend his money. Right. That's exactly who I think he is. And not only that, but like it, it came across like the only thing that he wants to do is play football. And you know, obviously it's a chief's production. They're going to make it seem like that no matter what anyway. But like, like you said, just genuine. It, it just seemed genuine. There's, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I thought the, the show opened with kind of a montage of the end of the Super Bowl, pretty much most of the offseason. Those are always great, too. Just to remember the sequence of events of how things happened. I, I, I think the biggest takeaway from this episode was just it's something that we always knew. But just going back to how much this franchise, no pun intended, prioritized getting the offensive line correct this year. It started off with them showing the Super Bowl loss. And then about the next thing that they showed after um, the Chiefs players kind of coping with the loss was them cutting Eric Fisher and Mitch Schwartz on the same day. And then it went on to the Kyle Long and Joe Tooney sighting. Then it went on to the draft and um, 
adding offensive line help there and trading for Orlando Brown. And then the two players that they followed this episode were Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley. Um, Seeing all of that just really kind of highlighted again, what an importance it was. And one other thing, and I think Christian and I are both kind of in the same place of this. We're both the more analytical value driven type of guys that look at players more as like assets and less as people. But seeing how the locker room and the coaching staff and the players reacted to getting and when Orlando Brown showed up, I, th- I think that Matt, I think we discount that too much. I think that seeing just the impact of like, hey, we went and got this guy for Pat, and this is Pat's guy, and this is who we wanted, and he's our guy going forward. I, I think that matters more than we probably give it credit for. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but like the, the talent and the ability that he brings to the team, it, you know, there's a value of that on the field, right? But there's, there's also like the hidden value, the, the intangible, like Patrick doesn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder again. Like there, there's something to be said about that, that, you know, the trust that he has in that player where it, it's not really quantifiable in the stat sheet other than more passing yards. Yeah, and I, I think that um, I thought that watching Orlando Brown talk about watching some old – he's talked about this several times in press conferences too, that he loves to go back and watch old game tape. I thought that – I found that very interesting. You know, the whole him wanting to switch the left tackle thing, we're going to per- – it's easy to pretend that it's not just financially motivated – but hearing him talk about his dad who's passed away and they showed, you know, video of his dad playing for the Ravens as well. It, it definitely made a little bit more sense, brought it all in scope. And, and Orlando Brown was definitely a star, but Andrew Wiley was really good to, on there as well. I thought it was super cool. Them talking about him being like a Twitch streamer. He's really into the football cards. I thought it was super funny. He talked about, um, getting all the different players that he has to sign them whenever he either sees them in the locker room or plays them. Like the, the, I thought the funniest thing he talked about is that he had a Darren Waller card or no, it was Max Crosby. And he said, yeah, oh, this, one, this, this one's coming out of the jock strap at the Raiders game. Like, like <laughs> it, it's pretty funny. Um, I, I think he's one of those guys, Andrew Wiley, while I don't think that he's taking starter reps this year, I think he's kind of one of those underrated players where the, the locker room really likes him. And I mean, he's, he's put in some good snaps before he's played left and right guard, you know, that same, like part of the reason why we were all so smacked from the Super Bowl was because we actually thought that Andrew Wiley could step up and be a competent right tackle because he, you know, shut down Cam Hayward in the saints game. Yeah. I mean, like he, he's one of those players that's like extremely versatile. Right. And we talked about that earlier. Um, but go, going back to what you said, it, it is kind of funny to see like millionaires and, and people who are like, kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. Like a, a, not really like a tier above, but like in a, in a different social class than you be relatable and, and cool. Like, you know, it, it is kind of dorky that he has, you know, all these trading cards that he keeps, but it's also like, you, you know, he, he's a human too, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, it definitely humanizes it more than we give it credit for as we said on twitter yeah it's i don't know i i really enjoyed this this past episode i'm really interested in seeing 
what the next one's going to hold. Yeah, um, I, I think the next one will probably be a little bit more content heavy. They'll have more of camp to show. This was mainly rehabbing the off or rehashing the off season and some OTA footage. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get a little bit more detail. Um, but real quick, we'll wrap up football. I saw this game played on another show that I listened to and I liked it. And I thought it was a good way to kind of just go over the AFC West. Um, who is the most important non-quarterback player for each AFC West team? We'll save the Chiefs for last. Christian, who's the most important non-quarterback for the Denver Broncos? So for the Denver Broncos, I'd have to say it's Cortland Sutton. He, he was a first round draft pick. He was my top wide receiver on the board when he got drafted a few years ago. He's a monster and he, he's got an incredible work ethic, but you know, he, he's kind of been injured the past couple of years. And so he hasn't really, you know, jumped off the screen like everybody kind of thought he would. Um, I really think that he's going to have a huge season this year. Um, and with, with a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater, who kind of relies on outside help, you know, he, he's not going to win you any football games, but he's not going to lose you any football games. Having a number one guy like Cortland Sutton that can do everything you want as a wide receiver is incredible incredibly helpful for you know a quarterback like that what about you Denver Broncos for me I'm gonna go a little bit out of my realm normally but I'm actually gonna say Garrett Bowles Garrett Bowles had a amazing season last year and the Broncos rightfully invested in him afterwards he was one of the highest graded guards or excuse me guards tackles in the NFL he was third overall at a 90.6 passing grade or passing block block grading by PFF. And he's their left tackle. Obviously they're makeshift at quarterback, but that offensive line is going to go as he goes. They got Bobby Massey at right tackle, who is kind of the definition of plug and play replacement level player. They have Dalton Reisner, who's an okay guard KSU, um, Lloyd Cushenberry at, at center is very average. Um, if Garrett Bowles is great, that offensive line's solid. If Garrett Bowles regresses back to what he's been the rest of his career besides his contract year, that makes that offensive line a lot more exposed in a, in a conference or in a division that has three good pass rusher on the Chiefs, three good pass rushers on the Chiefs, a couple good pass rushers on the Raiders and the Chargers as well. Um, let's move on next to the Chargers. Who is the most non, most important non-quarterback on the Chargers? So it's Joey Bosa, right? Like he's just incredible. He, he's one of the best defensive ends in the league when he's healthy. But again, there's a common theme here. He's never healthy. Like I think that if he comes out and he has a healthy season, I mean, like I said, he's one of the best defensive ends in the league. He's going to pressure the quarterback test that new chiefs uh offensive line you know find out who's the weak link that left or that right tackle spot isn't shored up yet go after them same thing with the the broncos you know they don't have a great offensive line like you just outlined they have one or two guys that are really good um and the raiders you saw what happened to the raiders they don't i don't even think they have an offensive line this season so if he goes out he pressures the quarterback you know gets 80 pressures or something crazy yeah I think that he will be incredible. They will absolutely be relying on him this upcoming season. So what about you, Chargers? Uh, for me, I will go chalk here a little bit. I'm going to go Keenan Allen. 
Keenan Allen is probably, you know, he's one of those guys that gets talked about so much for being underrated that I don't think he's underrated anymore. Like it's one of those fake outrages where people are like, oh, no one gives Keenan Allen credit. And that's what they all say so much. So it's like, well, do they actually? I'm not sure. But the wider, here's the wide receiver situation for the Chargers minus Keenan Allen. Josh Palmer, who was a draft crush of mine, but a rookie nonetheless. Jalen Guyton, something named Austin Farrell and Mike Williams and Michael Bandy. Not exactly, okay, KJ Hill, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Moore, Jason Moore, Jason Hurst. Nothing there that inspires confidence beyond Keenan Allen. If Keenan Allen stays healthy, which, you know, you've mentioned that before, he's had his seasons where he struggled to stay healthy, but for the last couple of years has been healthy. If he um, stays healthy and is the productive player he's been for most of his career, that elevates that whole offense. You know, there's some good running back play there. They signed, um, they signed, they have Larry Roundtree that they drafted. They got Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly, good running back situation. They signed Jared Cook. But if Keenan Allen goes down, that really hurts the ceiling of the offense. Oh, yeah. They, they have nobody to replace him. His production is so incredibly important to that offense. I don't. There's no, there's no yin to their yang in the sense of like, if Tyreek Hill were to go down, at least there's Travis Kelsey. They don't, they don't have that, which not many teams have two hall of fame level offensive players, but they definitely don't have um, a Jarvis Landry to their Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. Well, and there's such a clear drop off. Like you just outlined the players. I mean, I I would prefer Keenan Allen to catch more passes over Jared cook a million times over. Like it's not even close. All right, lastly, let's go to the Raiders. Who do you think is the most important non-quarterback on the Raiders? So sticking with the defensive theme um, that I had for my last one, we'll go Max Crosby, right? He Incredible draft pick. I think they got him in the fourth round of the 2019 draft, maybe. Anyway, he, he's their best defender, and it, it's not even really close. Um, they drafted Cleveland Farrell, who hasn't really panned out, right? So. Him, defensive end, Max Crosby, coming in, being as productive as he has been, um, and, and kind of running that defense is incredibly important to that team. Um, yeah, man, this one's tough for me. First off, a couple of things as I'm scrolling through the roster, their defense on PFF, um, green is the best color. Actually, blue is the best color. Then it's green. Red, orange, yellow are all bad colors. Their defense is like red, orange, and yellow, like exclusively almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of not good play there. Um, another observation is, did you know that Parker, former chief Parker Anger, is still on the is in the NFL and on the Raiders roster? This is news to me. Uh, um, yeah, that's kind of surprising. I figured the, he would be in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or Cleveland, right? Um, yeah. But he, uh, you know, brought a Charverius Ward. So for me, this is going to be a little off the beaten, but I think hmm, the most important. See, I think that going forward, I'm going to say Alex Leatherwood, and here's why. I think, one, obviously the tackle position is important. And if Alex Leatherwood comes out and sucks this year, that whole the whole confidence around that franchise is going to really, really, really tank. There's already been that tweet that was going off 
from Austin Gale that Cleveland Farrell and Dar- Dar- Darren Damon Arnett are both running with the twos on defense exclusively. Both of those players were first round picks for this organization. They need, they need Alex Weatherwood to pan out as a tackle, not as a guard, as a tackle. So he needs to come out and be good. They obviously traded Trent Brown this offseason. Derek Carr is a player that needs a pocket. And also I think that this matters because the Raiders are one of those teams that are going to be in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes next year. They need to have to, they need to be able to say, hey, look, we have a really good offensive line. And if Alex Leatherwood sucks, that's not going to help. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny to watch the Raiders draft, just as a side note, like drafting people so, so incredibly high. Like Alex Leatherwood, when when I saw that they chose him, I audibly laughed out loud. Like it was so funny to me. You know, it. I don't think it's as bad of a pick as so many people want to make it out to be. It was just the fact that they did. If they would have drafted him as a guard, it would have been a better pick than him at tackle. I don't think that there's almost anyone who pegged him as a true tackle. Um, but you well, know, yeah. Well, and as a side note here, I mean, like they drafted Trayvon Moreg in the second, who I had as a first round pick. If they would have swipped, if they would have flipped those two picks, like I think everybody been, would have been okay with it. Like, yeah. And the, but the <laughs> that's just how backwards const- the Raiders are. Like the roster construction in general is just very, very strange. They have like more safeties than they know what to do with, which is fine. I mean, it's an, we see Steve Spagnuolo loves safeties as well, but Jonathan Abram was 94 out of 94 safeties. He had a 35.9 PFF grade. Carl Joseph, 75th overall, 116th out of 121 for Damon Arnett. They, I am not sure what they are doing. It, it, the pieces just really don't make sense to me. But, okay, so last thing we're going to do, where were you, Christian, when the world stopped turning and Russell Westbrook became a Laker? So I was uh, helping my grandparents. Uh, they just got back from, from Colorado. They go on their Colorado trip about the same time we do. And I was moving. I got the notification, and it wasn't what I ex- expected at all. Like, Russell Westbrook, the Lakers, I don't know. What, what do you think about it? I think I think the legend of Russell Westbrook is becoming a little bit more than the actual story. I you know, I don't think that he is a truly elite level, you know, top 10 player in the in the NBA, which sounds crazy because he is an MVP. But here's the thing. People treat Russell Russell Westbrook like he is garbage, trash, awfulness that is an automatic L for any game that he's in. And I know that that sounds like hyperbolic, but if you, you know, read the comments on Twitter or Facebook, you would think that he is not nearly as bad of a player that people talk about. You open up his basketball reference play uh, page. There's a lot of black ink on there, which, you know, if you don't know, black ink means uh, they led the league in that particular statistic. He is a triple double machine. We know that. Um, he last year led the league in assists per game. Um, you know, he averaged 22.2 points per game last season. Um, and the thing that I think might be the most important is that he has never played less than 57 games or one season. He played 46 and that was back in 2013. He plays a lot of games. He stays healthy. 
I think that this is a regular season move by the Lakers. Now, I, I know that that sounds silly, but the Lakers did just win a championship with AD and LeBron. More or less, that was about it. Yes, they had good contributions. They signed Dwight Howard today as well. But what they needed was a player that could elevate their team during the regular season. So they weren't trying to play into, you know, the eight seed and having to go down the stretch. They just need to have a player that can carry them through the regular season. So LeBron and AD can take over in the playoffs. Now here's the thing that's easier said than done. We don't know that Westbrook is going to be able to be incorporated into the postseason offense. That, that remains to be seen. And they're going to have to work that out. The ball movement, you know, Westbrook needs the ball in his hands to score. So does LeBron. And they're going to have to work that out. But the thing that I like about this is that Westbrook is the type of player that on any given night in January, he can go out and win a game by himself. He can put up 40 points and LeBron can sit in sweats or AD can sit in sweats. And I think that that's, I, do I love it? No. Do I think that it was the best move that they could have made? No, but I also don't think it's the worst move they could have made. And I don't think that this, I think this helps them more than hurts them as far as their title hopes. So, you know, they had a thing going with the Kings and Buddy Heald, right? So who would you rather have, just right off the top of your head, Buddy Heald, Russell Westbrook? Well, I need, let me look at how old Buddy Heald is. I don't remember off the top of my head. That might answer my question a little bit in what their contract <laughs> situation is, too. Um, well, just as a Buddy, player. Buddy Heald is obviously much younger. Buddy, <laughs> here's the thing. They need a score, right? That's what they really need is they need someone who can score and they desperately need someone who can shoot. They are, there's not a marked difference between let's see, Buddy Hield averages three, three pointer attempts per game. Whereas Russell Westbrook averages um, or sorry, not attempts makes three point three, three pointers per game for Buddy Hield versus one three pointer for Russell Westbrook. So I honestly, I think I would have preferred them go the route of Russell Westbrook, but I can understand why someone would say heel just because I think he might. It's a classic high ceiling, high floor type of thing. I think the floor on Westbrook is very low or very high, whereas the healed thing, not as much. I think, you know, there is a situation where the buddy healed moves feels very whatever, very meh, whereas the Westbrook move, I don't think is going to be a total flop. See, and, and if you would have asked me right after it happened, if I thought it was a good move or not, I would have told you no, right? Because on his face, you know, what does LeBron need around him? Shooters. What was Kyrie? He was a shooter. What was, uh, like, say what you want about him, but Dinner Schroeder was a shooter. He can shoot. Um, that's kind of what he's thrived off. Kyle Cordover, J.R. Smith, That you know, that's kind of what he needs. And that's not what Russell Westbrook is at all, but – I really like your take that it's a regular season move because one thing, you know, Russell Westbrook can't shoot threes, but you know what he can do? He can put in 110% for 99% of the games in the regular season. And, and that's one thing that they're desperately lacking. One thing like the biggest knock on AD is that, you know, he's not fully committed. Well, you know who is fully committed? Russell Westbrook. And he's not going to shortchange it. He's going to go out there and he might not be a perfect scheme fit, but he plays the role that he plays incredibly well. And LeBron can take a night off when Russell Westbrook is there. AD can take a night off when Russell Westbrook is there. And if they get two or three good spot-up shooters on this team, 
I mean, I don't know who all is left. They lost Alex Caruso in free agency. He got signed today um, to an absurdly high contract. Um, but I think if they get a few more spot-up shooters, this team can be way better than it was even two years ago. Agreed. Um, I, I'm not sure any team has glowed up as much so far in the in the NBA wildness of the offseason as the Heat. First off, they signed uh, Jimmy Butler to a max deal, which was very predictable and expected. But they tr- did a trade and sign for Kyle Lowry, which was actually my favorite target for the Lakers. And they agreed to terms with uh, P.J. Tucker as well. And they uh, took the option on uh, – What's his name? Drokic? Drogic. Yeah, Drogic. Yeah, Drogic. That's what it is. Um, but they, I, I love what they're doing. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the Heat. I thought that I, it really surprised me how poorly they played in the playoffs last year or this uh, playoffs. But I, I think that they are poising themselves to really challenge the Bucks this year. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Butler is an incredible defender. Like, P.J. Tucker, they, they brought a lot of defense to that team. And like you said, Kyle Lowry, one of the top targets for the Lakers. I mean, he's really good, too. So I, I really like their prospect coming up this next upcoming season. And I'm not sure there's anyone who lost today more than the Suns signing Chris Paul to a four-year $120 million deal. What are they doing? I'm scratching my head here too, man. That's you're, you're maybe going to get two more years of above average CP three. And you know, the Suns have not necessarily been known to be a really great organization, but that move, I, I just don't get it, man. There, it feels it's, it feels like they are paying for what he's done versus what he's going to do. Like, it's kind of like the Eric Cosmer deal with the Padres where like everyone knew Eric Cosmer wasn't a, as good of a player, but he was a great leader. It, it feels like they are playing for like stuff off the court. It makes, that makes zero sense to me. That was the last thing the Suns needed and just confirms my opinion that we don't see the Suns anywhere near the finals anytime soon. Oh, yeah, that, that was your take on one of our previous podcasts. I forgot about that. Well, it just, you know, they they were run like a smart organization until they weren't. Like Chris Paul, they, they more or less bought low on him when they got him. And it was a move that made a lot of sense. But he struggled to play four quarters this year. Why is he getting paid for four years? I don't know. And, like, I think that's a really good take. I, I really like that. He, he's paid for what he's done, not necessarily what he's going to do. And off the field, we or off the court, we know kind of what he is. He, he's a really good leader. He brings a lot to that team. But at some point, you know, you can be a great leader. I don't care what you're doing in the locker room. you got to put up something on the court. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting offseason. You know, some of the other stuff that we missed. Uh, it looks like Kawhi is – they there for like 10 seconds. I thought Kawhi was going to be a true free agent, but um, they're, they're reworking his deal. So he's staying with the Clippers. Um, so that, that almost looked really exciting. Um, let's see, just refresh Twitter. Devonte Graham is signing a deal with the Pelicans. Uh, a lot of people locally love Devonte Graham for when he was a KU Jayhawk, 
But uh, yeah, NFL offseason, man, or NBA offseason. It's exciting. Um, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, I think that's about all that we have today for you. Uh, we appreciate you joining us as always. Next week, we'll kind of recap the next episode of the franchise, and hopefully we'll have a bunch more Chiefs training camp stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah, I'll be there on the 5th and the 8th again, so I should get uh, get some up close, you know, get to see everything for myself, I mean. All right, that's awesome. Um, yeah, if you guys have any recommendations for St. Joe, let us know. Maybe got a good place to sit, somewhere good to eat. Uh, we're always open to that. I, I might try to make it up one more time. I'm a little weird. I Honestly, camp is good for me like once a year. Go once a year, see it, experience it, but I'm much, you know, there's only so much you can see, only so much moving you can do around the field, but definitely love getting in the environment and getting excited and seeing a bunch of Chiefs fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. Go Chiefs and have a good rest of your week. Yeah, thanks. See you guys.